in there, perform and deliver. Respect, last count, Corda. It will be one sentence and I am responding. What a load of spin and nonsense. He has only challenged my personality and pointed out my gender. And cop on a small bit, Taoiseach. Welcome to the Polling Station podcast with Neve and Amy, where each week we try to make politics a bit easier to grasp. This week we're looking at the recent fallout in Scottish politics between former First Minister Alex Salmond and current First Minister Nicola Sturgeon. So last week we saw an inquiry into Nicola Sturgeon's and the Scottish government's handling of the sexual assault allegations that were brought against Alex Salmon. So we're just going to be doing a dive into what's going on because it's very confusing. There's a lot of players. There's lots of different like trials that were happening. What do they mean? And just a quick note that we will be discussing the contents of in the trial. So there will be mentions of sexual assault and attempted rape in this podcast. And this this podcast is also, it's also consequential in the sense that we're looking at what this means for Nicola Sturgeon as well. This is one of her first big controversies in her leadership as the role of the First Minister of Scotland and what this will mean with a general election coming down the line and what this will mean for a possible second referendum. Um, but I suppose what we're looking at, Amy, before we even jump into the inquiry, who who Alex Salmond is and why he's such a consequential figure. Neve, because I think there's a lot of people that, like I know myself personally, I had really heard of Alex Salmond before this. So who who is he? Alex Salmond is the previous First Minister of Scotland. He was the leader of the Scottish National Party for a number of years. He first joined the Scottish Parliament in 1987 up until he, when he lost his seat in, two, in the 2017 general election. He's been one of the most vocal political voices on Scottish independence. That's kind of been one of his main talking points and one of his his main policy driven agendas of the Scottish National Party and then I suppose when we're looking at Nicola Sturgeon she got her start out in politics in 1999 so she's been in the game for 21 years 21 years now and essentially Salmond took Sturgeon underneath his wing so to speak and mentored her and she you know leading her up for what he would hopefully you know she was his protege he was her mentor in what she would take over the party one day and like their friendship was very well known like it was never kept a secret she has spoken highly about him on the record and vice versa it's well documented across british and scottish media he appointed her to the front bench of the snp when she was first selected which and then within a year into it he you know alex salmond gave up on the leadership passing it to john rains when and then he resigned in 2004 john rains did so this moved nicola sturgeon up within the party so their political their this political partnership as i said it dominated scottish politics and a huge impact mm-hmm. on also british politics as you know the 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 want and the need of a scottish independence referendum was kind of looming closer and closer so then and it was would you say that their personal relationship helped that like push for it go in the scottish referendum that they were these two big heavyweights that got on really well personally that were like pushing this kind of Scottish referendum. Yeah, 100%. And I think this friendship and this, you know, they were allies, they were friends. And it was just, it was very evident in that very clear, like, you know, they considered each other almost like extended family members. And this this political partnership just went from strength to strength and then this led to a landslide election in 2007 when the SNP, Scottish National Party, they finally gained seats and became in power um, in Holyrood, which is essentially Scotland's equivalent of Stormont in Northern Ireland, so the Scottish Parliament. So basically, they've been in power since 2007. Then in 2011, we come to the Scottish referendum, which is what, mm-hmm. you know, it had been on Alex Salmon's agenda since he was elected into office in 1987. Yeah, so he's always been gunning for 
as I said, Sturgeon has just kind of encouraged that and been an, even a bigger a bigger proponent of that with him. So, But obviously, as everyone knows, in September 2014, the independence vote was lost from 54% to 45%. And then within two months of that, Alex Salmon had stepped down as party leader and first minister. And this is when Nicola Sturgeon comes over and she takes on the leadership role of the party. And I think, safe to say, she has been a very strong voice within the Scottish politics, especially in the SNP there's been very little controversy surrounding her career thus far for the issues with Alex Salmond but she in with regard to Brexit the people of Scotland voted to remain and she's been very proponent on pushing for a second referendum in order to have the will of the people of Scotland be heard with regard to Brexit so she's been very strong people have praised her for her for the way she's been handling COVID and so on. So now we're looking at this seamlessly perfect political career for Sturgeon and this seamlessly buddy-buddy partnership that could not be broken mm-hmm was now starting to there was crumbles and cracks starting to appear in 2018 um so essentially we're in 2018 we're in the height of the me too movement at the moment harvey wine you know the allegations of harvey yeah. weinstein are coming to the fore and i said there was a previous msp who had resigned due to texts that were shown that were sexually explicit and i just in the height of that okay. movement and now Nicola Sturgeon, obviously, as a, she then set up this new procedure for complaints of sexual harassment to be made against current and also, f- which is key, former SNP. And this is clear in 2018. Alec, he was not elected. He lost his seat in 2017. And I th- a lot of that as well, I think even back then, you know, he would attribute some of that blame possibly to Sturgeon. 2017 lost his seat and now we come to 2018. Me Too movement. There's a new sexual harassment policy. And this is where we see the cracks to begin. So kind of where then does this leave us then? How did this start then with Alex Salmon's then, Amy? Yeah, so I suppose, Dave, you set the scene there. He's lost his seat. We're in the height of the Me Too movement, speculating there's a little bit of bad blood between him and Sturgeon. But basically, because of that text message that you mentioned there, the Scottish government set up this kind of investigation to look into all these sexual harassments for current and former ministers and in this what cropped up was there were two complaints of sexual harassment made to Alex Salmon by two female civil servants and he strongly denied this he came out and he said absolutely not it's not me this is an outrage I think his direct words were it's unfair and unjust and in the kind of height of this because you have to imagine this was like he, like Alex Salmond I think like for us we're kind of like I don't really know who he is but for years he was this big huge political heavyweight in Scotland and people were like oh my god what is that after happening so he literally said this is not true but so I'm not kind of causing a rift in the Scottish National Party I'm going to resign from the party and then he said that because he thinks that it was unfair and unjust he was going to take legal challenges to the Scottish government so this is where the judicial review comes in. And this is the bit I, that I'm finding tricky is the judicial review. Because, you know, he's made the complaints about, you know, the false allegations that were that he claims to be false allegations. So what exactly is the judicial review in the context of Scottish, in the Scottish Parliament and of sexual harassment claims? So a judicial review is basically when the courts examine either the government, a branch of the government or a certain kind of person in the government because of a decision that they made or an action that they did or didn't make. 
and anyone can kind of like bring these forward but they're always like last resort and you have to prove that you know like this is the only way to kind of do this that there's been a really grave you know kind of misjustice and this is what's going to happen so you have to go to the courts and be like hey this is what's happened you think you'll do a little judicial review and then the courts will be like, yes, we will. So that is exactly what happened. And people were kind of like, why is this happening? Like, and like literally Alex Salmon came out, said he would, he was doing this. And within three days, he'd raised over a hundred grand in like, um, like a GoFundMe thing. So like, which is mad when you think about it. So like there was huge support for him. So then you wonder like, why did he feel like he needed to do this judicial review? And at this point, we can only kind of speculate because he's never come out and said exactly what it is. He's only said that it's been unfair and unjust and stuff of a similar wording. But what seems to have happened and what seems to have caused him to do the judicial review is all these meetings that happened before the sexual allegations against him were made public. Kind of confusing this and it's kind of I said this, she said that, we all said nothing and everything. But basically what is alleged to have happened is in March 2018, Salmon's former chief of staff met Nicholas Sturgeon in her office. And now Nicholas Sturgeon describes this meeting and I quote fleeting and that she actually forgot about it. But she met Salmon's former chief of staff and Salmon was there as well. And they said that this was the first time that the inquiry into his sexual harassment allegations were brought up. Now, this is four days earlier than Nicholas Sturgeon said that she heard about it. So kind of like a little bit of funky, not sure what's going on, who is saying what. And that it was also revealed, well, it's said to have been revealed in that meeting who one of the um, the name of the complainants was. So if you're to believe what that happened, basically Nicola knew the T and Salmon knew who one of the people who were bringing these allegations against him. So now, we're, already in murky, we're, we're already in murky water in terms of an allegation. It's not... You know, oh. you know, if 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 these allegations are to be true, and this is what was said in these meetings, the the, the, the complaint the complainants are being set up for failure by both Sturgeon and Salmond. Bingo, that's exactly it. And literally, then, so that's happened in March, and then in April, Sturgeon met Salmond at her home. This when she remembers that the it was the first mention of sexual allegations. So a month later than what Salmond is saying. And then Salmond is saying that he left that meeting in, quote, no doubt that she was going to intervene on his behalf for these sexual allegations. So again, we're speculating here because Salmond has never come out and said this, but if I was a betting woman, I would say that Salmond brought this judicial review out because he was like, there was some shady going on in these meetings. There's a bit of he said, she said, and I think that I'm able to, to you know prove that there was something kind of going on here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so what happens then after after these so-called these two alleged meetings one that didn't happen and one that sturgeon does recall to happen so where does that what was the next step then in the in the in the judicial review so basically what happened then is that it's the review starts so they start like looking into exactly what happened and again into a bit of he said she said thing their view is going on and it's kind of we're about up to august here now august 2018 is when the it was formally began the judicial review so then in about these things can go on for ages as i'm sure anybody who has any had any exposure to anything in law knows but basically in about that in that october the senior counsel for the scottish government he was like doing kind of all the lawyering for this judicial review warned 
the government that basically a senior official had met and briefed the two complainants before they made their complaints. So what does that mean? It means that there was uh, interference from the Scottish government on what the complainants could have potentially said. And now again, this is all like potential, but that is not good. That is really, really like basically if you have, you know, somebody, a party kind of coming in and directly talking to the the people who are bringing this and it could be telling them what to say, that evidence is basically like you go to court and they'll be like, nah, this is can't can't take it. It's 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 tampered evidence. But what was what was even more concerning about that is that the Scottish government still went ahead with the judicial review, even though they knew that okay, this is probably going to be thrown out if we get we if when we go to the court which is not a uh, great. And even in that December, again, they were kind of advised that Salmon's legal challenge would, you know, succeed and they were going to lose because of this. But again, they still went ahead with it. And why this is kind of an issue is basically these judicial reviews are run on taxpayer money. And if the government loses, they also need to pay for the legal fees of Salmon. And that is exactly what happened. It was a big yeah, so they basically conceded the judicial review being like, yeah, we messed up. We did. There was a senior official that talked to the complainants, therefore their evidence is tampered, which I think we need to remember that's horrific for the people that brought that, uh, you know, those complaints that they were basically thrown out the window because the Scottish government didn't get their everything lined up and talked to them at the correct time. Exactly. I think as well, the fact that Nicola Sturgeon had brought in these policies to help people come forward with regards to cases of uh, of sexual harassment and so on and the fact that the procedures in place it doesn't do anything for the for the complainants it actually in fact does more harm to them than good because as you said Amy they messed up along the way and couldn't get their ducks in a row and be like no we must Bingo. do this instead and i suppose you're kind of wondering if she didn't have that close rela- that close relationship with Salmond, would she have gone and allegedly met him on those two times in March and then in April? Um, no, Neve, you, you hit the nail on the head there. Like you're talking about just because their ducks weren't in a row that Nicola Sturgeon was chatting to Alex Salmond, which probably prompted this judicial review. And because she was probably like, you know, I want to see these allegations true. This is my friend. Maybe somebody talked to somebody at a time that they shouldn't. And because of that, they were thrown out. And on top of that, £500,000 had to be paid out for the whole judicial review. So, and Alex Salmond also raised a six-figure sum through crowdfunding in advance. Now, he did say that the rest would go to good causes, but it's yeah it's just a fuck up from beginning to end the way that they handled it and it it ended up with salmon you know being completely cleared and and yeah couple 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 of grand richer so so obviously sam and his pockets are lined the the complainants are left with nothing to do their Mm -hmm. you know their allegations are just left the same as they were when they came forward and now Nicola Sturgeon is in debt. Now she's using taxpayer money of 500,000 euro. So mm-hmm. I suppose as well, this, we're already in a bit of a rough patch. And, you know, it looks like Alex Salmond has kind of sailed through. But then I suppose but... in January 2019, it, he was his luck was going to run out soon enough. And on the 24th of January, he was charged with 14 sexual assault offences, including one of attempted rape. 
So these are incredibly severe allegations. He categorically denied them all. He said he was not a perfect person. He made, you know, mistakes in his personal life, but nothing to the extent of this. So mm-hmm. he did he did d- deny them and said he he had never done anything like this. But And I, I think people are like, you know, he already had sexual assault allegations. What's the difference with these? The difference with the two complaints was it, it was in a workplace. It was from an internal investigation. So they were kind of it, it doing their own thing. These were kind of criminal cases brought to him. Now, they were brought by, you know, previous civil servants, but they're completely separate to the two complainants of the other thing. And literally, like you said, Neve, he was waltzing off into the sunset. He finished the judicial review on the 8th of January, 24th of January. All these um, allegations were brought against him. The nine women who made these allegations against Alex Salmond included an SNP politician, a party worker, several current and former Scottish government civil servants and official. So I think it's important to remind that because those those cases are not, while these are criminal cases, they're not far off. As we saw the judicial review, they were also exactly. two civil servants who brought those cases. So I think it's just important to keep them in mind. So while the court case was going on, you know, Salmond, he said that the claims were deliberate fabrications for a political purpose or exaggerations. Mm-hmm. And then I think, so this was, then we pushed forward to March of 2020 and he ended up being acquitted on all charges in a high court. But there was something, Amy, some, not all these charges is what you would hear in a normal sexual assault or attempted rape um, case. Yeah, exactly. So like you said, Neve, he was um, basically given a not guilty verdict for 12 of these so one of them so there is 14 in total 12 he was not guilty one actually was withdrawn by the prosecution so she he brought it forward to decide to step back and then the third one is this it was given the verdict not proven so this is a thing that we wouldn't be really familiar with in Ireland or actually in Europe because a fun fact Scotland is the only legal system in Europe to actually have this third verdict so you would have you're guilty you're not guilty and you're not proven and you're not proven basically means that the jury cannot prove the person is innocent but they don't think there's enough evidence to convict them which is absolutely as confusing as it sounds <laughs> like. is, is there any sort of can you be remanded and remanded in any sort can you get a fine or a pen, like do you get any sort of no penalty it's it's basically carries the same legal weight as a not guilty but a different social weight if that makes sense like you were like legally and criminally you're get the same kind of treatment as like not guilty you know you don't have a criminal record you've nothing like that but you kind of carry around that social thing of like if you were you know it's on if someone was to look you up they would see oh it's not proven and you'd be like "Mm." but again it's something that's like it's very murky it's a murky verdict for a lot of murky acts and it's used a lot in kind of sexual assault rape attempted rape cases where it's very difficult to prove that there's enough evidence to actually have them guilty so this is what salmon was on uh, one of them but um, I mean other than the fact that you can look at that and be like that doesn't be like that sits very well with me from legally and criminally he was free as bird and he basically gotten through his second sexual assault trial so I suppose now what we're looking at now is the present day I suppose you know we're a year almost a year on since the mm-hmm. You know, since he was acquitted on and not proven on all charges that were brought against him. So now we're looking at these, you know, the Hollywood inquiries, as some people are calling them. 
that mm-hmm. he's um that he, he, that Nicola Sturgeon and the Scottish government are facing as a result of the handling of the judicial review. This is all coming around because like people are like, why is this, you know, coming again? Like like you said, Neve, the judicial review was from 2018, 2019. The trial was 2019. We're 2021 now. Like what is happening? And it is exactly what you said. It's the Holyrood inquiries that are going on because of the way the Scottish government handled the judicial review. Mm-hmm. So we're starting these uh, these inquiries are starting now in well they've been ongoing and are due to finish up at the end of this month so at yeah. the end of March 2021 so there's two separate committees one of the, both looking at different things but obviously in the realm of the judicial review so I suppose Amy do you, if you want to take us through what those first two what those two different committees are yeah so the two different committees are the first one is the committee that's looking into the handling of uh, the Scottish government's handling of the complaints against Mr. Salmond. So that is looking at exactly what you think it would look at. It's looking at the why and how did these things happen. And then the second committee is basically looking at did Nicola Sturgeon breach the ministerial code? So the ministerial code basically is just that you're held to like a standard that you will do and say what is right and that you won't lie. So again, you know, it's been brought to Nicola Sturgeon that she's potentially lied about some of the incidents that has happened. So that's what your two things are looking at. You're looking at one being like, what exactly happened that made the Scottish government handle this judicial review so badly? And two, what happened that made Nicola Sturgeon break the ministerial code if you are going to believe a certain version of events? And I suppose the first committee is even that bit more interesting the inquiry into with the first commission is even more interesting because it involves Sturgeon's husband Peter Pearl who was you know he's the SNP chief, chief executive and you know the opposition and other TD because we have to remember as well that the SNP at this point is deeply divided we have Sturgeon Huge. we have allies for Sturgeon and allies for Samuel because just because he's, he lost a seat in 2017 as Amy you were speaking about the GoFund there's still huge you mm. know support and admiration I mean, for this man if people are going to give him like over a million for his review and put their money where their mouth is they're definitely going to support him in with this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there seem to be a lot of the SNP it seems to be very divided as it is now and I suppose now we're seeing in the first one as I said earlier which is even in the first committee which is quite interesting is Nicholas Sturgeon's husband Peter Pearl who's the SNP chief, chief executive has been accused of lying about the meetings between his, um, Nicholas Sturgeon and Alex Salmond in their Glasgow home because as you said these are not formally recorded and there's also you know he's facing facing issues with regards to text messages he sent to put pressure on the police to take action against Alex Salmond so these are the allegations that he is also facing with but this is as as you said Amy this Peter mural is to do with the handling of the government this is not mm-hmm. which is the first committee to deal with you have Nicola Sturgeon's husband again kind of feeding into the Alex Salmond narrative of Nicola was trying to take me down look her husband was involved look at these go and then you also have like all this kind of weird like obstruction and delay of like giving evidence from both Salmon and the government side. And like the committee is saying it's like completely frustrated. It's no idea what's happening. The ministers in the Scottish Parliament want to know what happened, want to know exactly what happened. And they find it a, it, it, a tough to tell them what happened because that would involve giving um, the names of the two complainants, which obviously need to keep their privacy. So there was compromise reach on that. Though only certain ministers were given the names again, 
another blow dealt to those women that you know breached their privacy that has had to come to this and yeah it's just really 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 horrible and then there was a decision made because of like a statement that salmon wanted to give um as part of like this whole inquiry and that included about his criminal trial last year again he's saying that this only happened because these two complaints came up that um this like they want he wanted to give this evidence and it actually this whole rigmarole happened and the evidence ended up being released online for 24 hours before the crown office raised concern and asked to take it down again potential identifying you know features of like the women involved were in that so it's just it's it's interesting how a a committee set up to kind of investigate the Scottish government's handling of this is nearly making the situation worse and trying to get to the bottom of it It, and it's just it's just it shows how murky this situation is that they can't even navigate feels very personal and I think that lends itself to you know the second committee which is the one on the ministerial code for Nicola Sturgeon so she actually put herself forward for this because of all the calls dishonesty and there was kind of exactly like you were saying the splinter in the party itself so and she's like opposition has there's huge political like she's paying for this politically and you know and I suppose as well her inquiry like like you said Amy she put herself forward she was Mm -hmm. in that she was she was giving evidence for eight hours. Her evidence testimony lasted eight hours long. I have to say it to Nicola, like she did deeply apologize for everything that happened, which is more than Mr. Salmon has ever done for what happened to the women that went through this ordeal. I suppose she did come across, like you said, Amy, um, there's a, a lot, there is a lot that has been done wrong, especially for the two complainants that came forward. But at least there was humility and responsibility appeared to be taken where the 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 same could not be said for Alex Salmond, where it is this, you know, he continued to profess that it was the government who were, you know, perpetuating this narrative about him and almost a conspiracy that they had done this. Yeah, like he's been very careful not to use the word conspiracy himself, but it's been used by his supporters. It's been used by the media and everything like that, that basically that Nicola Sturgeon is has this and her inner circle have this conspiracy basically to um, rid his name from the good history books of the Scottish National Party's history. So I suppose now what we're left is the report is due. She's given her, she is, Nicola Sturgeon has given her testimony. The report is due at the end of the month. Is there, but there so far there doesn't, unless something changes, am I right in saying, Amy, there's no smoking gun that will, that will completely tarnish Nicola Sturgeon in a, in the sense that she will be forced to step down as first minister. Like, have we found that smoking gun, that evidence? Because what we're yeah. dealing with is, is allegations at the moment and no proven evidence at the moment. Yeah, so if um, Nicola Sturgeon is, you know, found to have broken the ministerial code, under normal circumstances, she would be expected to resign as first minister. But she's very popular still in the polls. I know political polls have had a less than a shining moment these last few years, but people still really support her. And I think the way that, like you were saying, Eve, the hours and hours of evidence she gave the other day, not excusing her handling of um, everything or her government's handling of it, but the humility that she showed is probably going to, you know, win favour with people. And then again, would people want to rock the boat even more in Brexit and COVID and everything that's happening? Probably not. So if she's found 
guilty of breaking the ministerial code, it'll be up for discussion whether she's to resign, but I would be very surprised. You know, number one, if she's found guilty of it, because they'd have to improve a big intent kind of there, which I don't think that they're going to. I'm staking my claim now. I'm putting it out there. I don't think that they're going to do, I don't think they're going to find that. So I don't think there's a smoking gun. I think Nicola Sturgeon, it will be a big blip and I hope a one that she learns from, but I think she will get out of it with a good couple of bruises and some scars, but she'll still be walking. Yeah, because she looks, it's look. It's looking like she will survive this. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've had Ruth Davison, who's the leader of the Scottish uh, Conservative Party. She has called for her resignation the Scotsman did a poll and out of the people they polled, 54% said they believe Nicola Sturgeon compared with 26% who believe Alex Salmond. So if these are, if the, as you said, like polls are very, you know, they can change instantly and that are not always 100% reliable. But if we are to believe this poll, it looks like she will survive it. She might not come in with a big majority as she, in the in the May elections, you know, but I suppose there is a lot I suppose there there's a lot of play here with regards to Brexit, the Scottish independence. You know that these mm-hmm. two figures have fought so you know they fought so much for it, and now they're squat like you know there's mismanagement of what they've done, and they're you know they're squabbling almost. It's come to now. It's not even unfortunately, it's not even about the complainants who who were trying to get justice to what they feel you know they were done hard by. It's unfortunately it's not even about that. It's about the squabble between Salmond and Sturgeon and. They fought so fought so much for independence, and now if the SNPs are not elected in, or even with a big majority, if they have to go into a coalition, they they're kind of damaging the plan that they've always wanted to do, which was for Scottish independence. You've you've hit the nail on the head there, Neve. That's just it. And you know, like a lot of people are questioning, be like, what does this mean for Scottish independence going forward? Like the two big heavyweights that have fought for it are now tearing each other's political career, careers apart. So you have to wonder what it'll mean. And I'm again put my cards out on the table being like, I don't think that this is what's going to damage Scottish independence. I think even if there's a dip in the Scottish national parties in the next election, there's other pro-independent parties, obviously not as pro-independence as the Scottish National Party, but you got the Scottish Greens, the Scottish Socialist Party and Solidarity, that they could make up the votes of it. I think probably what would be a bigger factor for independence is this fallout from Brexit um, and kind of seeing what's happening in Northern Ireland, how difficult slash non-difficult hopefully in the future that will be and seeing do they want to go through that. I think that will probably be something that will have a bigger pool and then and then COVID, of course. Um, so I do, I think what this will more affect than independence is Nicola Sturgeon's personal political brand. What do you think? I do. I, I especially I think you know Nicola Sturgeon when you compared her to Boris Johnson and Arlene Foster, she was you know she came across far more level headed. She had less opposition. You know, she she had she had much more going for her in the sense there was very little that had tarnished her political career. And you know when you're stuck with something like this, not like it's against your you know your mentor, one of your longest standing allies it's going to really damage her as well. And I think is, you know, cases of sexual assaults and sexual harassment, we're, we're see, viewing them in a different lens since the Me Too movement began. It's, but I do think I have to say what is very interesting is that the UK, the, the English government, so Westminster, should I say, have been remained very quiet on all of this, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just, it's interesting as, as to what Boris Johnson 
is kind of you know you you do wonder what they're thinking in the backgrounds and of course the last thing they would want is the you you know the united kingdom to break away even further and to break so maybe if this could be a political win for them if this hurts if this damages mm. nicola sturgeon and the SNP, because that splinter doesn't look like it's going to go away anytime soon but then That's again that's a don't great know. point they could rally around each other be like no we have a cause greater than this squabble which is scottish independence and so you you don't know either way but i do think it's very it's important to note that boris johnson has said very little on the matter and you know i think obviously it's you know it's a different you know it's very for boris johnson he doesn't want the union as i said to break up any further this will help him nicola you know mm-hmm. any anything that will hurt nicola surgeon's political points it's just additional uh, points for the pro for the Brexiteers and um, the Leavers. You know, Boris, he's a tactical man. This is definitely he's staying quiet for for a reason. And is it a case that we're going to let them pull each other apart? And I know it's kind of been documented in the media that there's a culture within the Scottish National Party to kind of be like, no issue is bigger than independence. So settle down there if there's any issues we'll deal with them internally this is one of the biggest blowouts they've ever had and as far as just like perfect let them tear each other apart and i'm gonna sit back and see what happens of course i think that's um i i think that's exactly what is happening as well and you don't know you know things could turn out different when the report is released later this month and then when this report is released Every party, every party in Sc- in Scotland is going into campaign mode. You know, Nicola Sturgeon's going to be wanting mm-hmm. her seat back. I'm sure Ruth Davidson will be wanting more seats for her party and possibly to be leaving Holyrood. You know, like this is what we're looking at. So, and I think as well, like obviously the Scottish referendum, the election is a big fallout from this. And the other fallout that we're looking at is, you know, what does this mean for the hashtag Me Too movement in? Scotland because I'm sure that'll be with the election coming up like you said Neve. that's going to be a question that is going to be raised to every single one of those political parties and I guess I think like when we look back on the whole journey of it from the complaint the judicial review to the trial to again the inquiries every step of this journey the women who came forward these complaints have been failed again and again and again, they have been failed first and foremost by Salmond. He has just, the way that he handled it, like I think he relied on the defence that he shared with a junior member of staff, a consented, drunken, sleepy cuddle uh, against allegations of sexual assault, which I think we can all just digest that and let that be as awful as it sounds um and they've been failed by Sturgeon and her government's handling of it and it just if anyone's been following this in the Scottish um, media um some of the rhetoric that has been talked about these women about how they are damaging Scotland Scotland's independence they're damaging the institutions by bringing forward what is their experience that they are being you know just slandered for that so much is absolutely horrific that again their experiences very personal experiences are being exploited for self-serving political interests is awful it's just awful and I like I think that it is going to be I hope that it is going to be something that's brought up in the election that every party is going to be like what am I going to do better to stop this from happening again in the future mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think this election is going to be very telling and the, like you said it, there's 
there's a lot more than just Brexit and Scottish independence that's at play here. And I think Nicola Sturgeon will be dealing for the political fallout of this for quite some time now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's this week's episode of the Pauline Station podcast uh, with Neve and Amy. I just want to say, so if anyone was affected by the topics of conversation, we had the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre hotline number is 1800 So that's for anyone who was impacted by the discussions we had with regards to sexual assault and rape. Thank you everyone so much for listening to this week's episode of the Pauline Station. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on what you think is going to happen with Alex, Salmon and Nicholas Sturgeon Fallout. So definitely let us know on Twitter and Instagram at at the polling station. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review if you enjoyed the episode. And until next week, guys. Bye.